Well, greetings in the Master's name. Uh, you can open your Bibles to uh, Hebrews chapter 10. The uh, last time we did the first part of this chapter, we want to finish the chapter today. I uh, want to thank you for your prayers for me. I had mentioned uh, on Wednesday evening prayer meeting some uh, health needs and and uh, Thursday, I feeling a good bit better. And then Friday, not as good. And Saturday, not as good. <laughs> and uh, But today, I feel pretty good. Maybe I'm just running on adrenaline. But um, anyway, thinking about uh, y'all praying for me Wednesday evening at prayer meeting and then feeling a lot better on Thursday, see, Prayer does help. Prayer does make a difference. We need each other. So thank you. Hebrews 10, now, fairly long chapter, but I, I'm going to read the whole chapter. Uh, the first part, first night, 18 verses. Uh, well, maybe I'll just uh, review a little bit. Just a very broad outline of uh, Hebrews. Uh, the, um, like I say, this is a very general outline. <clears throat> Christ's person, Christ's work, and the Christian's walk. Um, from chapter 1 to 4, chapter 4, verse 13, is the superiority of Christ's person. That's one way to look at it. From chapter 4, 14 to, to chapter 10, verse 18, uh, which is where we stopped the last time, is the superiority of Christ's work. So Christ's person, Christ's work there in those in those first ten nine and a half chapters, ten and a half chapters, and then the superiority of the Christian's walk is the last part of uh, of the uh, book of Hebrews. <clears throat> okay, so I'm reading this first part again, uh, although we we covered it extensively, uh, or the the truths of it just tried to really bring out in the last message. And we could talk about that again today because it's so much there and it's so wonderful. Uh, but uh, just pay attention here and you can follow along as you read also the uh, how marvelous and absolute these, these truths are in the first part of chapter 10. For the law having a shadow, let me just stop right there a shadow of good things to come. And we talked about that the last time. The Old Testament law and all the ceremonies and things that they went through was a shadow of Christ. And we talked about this too. You, you, you can tell some things from a shadow or like in school, sometimes they make silhouettes of the children. And you have them posted, you know. And you can look at those silhouettes, and you can you can pretty well figure out who's who. But you really don't know. You couldn't really tell a lot. If that's all you had, you couldn't tell a lot about that person. Okay. So the law was a shadow, but Christ was the fulfillment. Okay. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of those things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. For then they would not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have had 
No more conscience of sins. Then in those sacrifices, there is the remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body thou hast prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hadst had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldst not, neither hadst pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once. See, how does that song go? I don't know if it's in our hymn or not. I didn't check. I was gone and forgot. Once for all. Oh, brother, believe it. Once for all, O oh, sinner, receive it. What's the next part? What? Cling to the cross. The burden will fall. Christ has redeemed us once for all. Once for all. And that's where they got that title of the song here. Once for all, this truth here. Once for all. By which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Once for all, he was offered once. He was offered once, and he was offered for all. It's just so much here. And every priest standeth, this is Old Testament, every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. And you see, we had that up earlier in verse 4 the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sins but this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting to his enemies be made his footstool for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified Wherefore, the Holy Ghost also is witness to us. For after that he had said before, this is the covenant, this is quoting Jeremiah, I think, this is the covenant that I will make with him after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. So now the... Um, portion for today <clears throat> having therefore brethren okay having therefore brethren therefore that points back to all that we've covered so far in the book of Hebrews and especially the things that were just referred to in the first part of the chapter having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. Jesus is our high priest. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. 
and let us consider one another to provoke and to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, whereof he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions, partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward, for ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my souls will have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So here in this, okay, so in this passage, I want to look at a couple different portions, uh, kind of break it up. And first of all, I want to look at verses 26 to 31. Uh, the warning, we have a number of warnings here in Hebrews. And uh, this, these verses here in 26 to 31 have um, uh, caused um, people a lot of fear and concern. And uh, in some cases, rightfully so. Uh, but in some cases, it's uh, it's been uh, unnecessarily troubling. Let me say it that way. Um, and uh, so I think just maybe the simplest way to address that is just, I'm just going to read some things. I saved a quarterly from uh, eight years ago, the Christian Light series, uh, the adult series. Uh, they covered the Bible in eight years. And so I think, I think we just finished not too many quarters ago a study of the book of Hebrews. All right, I think we did. And so this was from eight years ago. So, and I happen to have a teacher's quarterly of, of that part. And so I'm going to just to read a little bit what it says about um, this passage here. Verses 36, 26 to 31 are further warnings about going into apostasy. The person who goes into apostasy tramples Jesus Christ underfoot. He considers the blood of Jesus Christ as worthless and offends the Holy Spirit who calls him to faith in Christ. Hebrews 6, 4-6 is a similar warning. You remember that when we went over it. Apostasy, by its very definition, refers to abandoning what once was possessed. Abandonment of religious faith 
or a previous loyalty. Verses 29 to 31 were not written to unsettle those who are faithful to Jesus Christ and yet struggle from time to time with temptation. When the believer faces temptation, God will make a way of escape. We must then take his way. And then, of course, the way the teacher's part is divided up, it hits it at different places. Verse 26 is in no way saying that if we ever sin again, we've lost our only chance. It is saying that Jesus is the only sacrifice able to deal with sin. If we do not rely on him, we have nowhere else to turn. Asking Jesus to forgive you doesn't guarantee you will never sin again. It does guarantee you power to resist sin. If you do sin, Jesus is still the only answer. And maybe I'll read this yet. When Jesus' sacrifice for sin is rejected, there are no other sacrifices for sin or any other way to God. This passage has nothing to do with backsliders that are common use of that term. A man may be overtaken in a fault, or he may deliberately go into sin, and yet neither renounce the gospel nor deny the Lord that bought him. His case is dreary and dangerous, but it is not hopeless. And uh, just... Uh, uh, from Halley's Bible Handbook. Maybe I'll just summarize it from that. Another fearful warning against falling away from Christ, similar to that in chapter 6, addressed to Christians who had once been a gazing stock in their suffering for the name of Christ who had, and who had given their all and their compassion for their fellow sufferers, referring to the latter part of the chapter, some of whom were now losing interest in the things uh, of Christ. The point is that there had, has been one sacrifice for sin. There will never be another. Whosoever will not avail himself of what Christ has done for him on the cross may as well take, make up his mind to say goodbye to God forever and go his own way and suffer for his own sin. So it seems like these people in Hebrews, that the, the people that were being written to, and it's called the book of Hebrews, uh, that they had evidently been Christians for a while. They had experienced the blessings of Christ, but in the, in the, um, in the um, difficulties that they faced, uh, and you're in the last part of the chapter. In the next chapter, too, at the end of the faith chapter, you can see some of what's being referred to there. Um, persecution, loss of material goods, uh, and also with all the emphasis on the Old Testament sacrifices and stuff, and they were still living in the time, this before Jerusalem was destroyed, because if it had already been destroyed, this book probably wouldn't have been written the way it was, uh, they're all that, and we, we we've gone over all that in the past. All the all the ritual and the ceremony and the the earthly um, liturgy and everything that that they had sort of abandoned, and all they had was this Christ. That there was some temptation to go back to that, evidently. And um, and so the writer saying, if you give up, and, and in other words. And it's just like uh, 
some of you undoubtedly have read stories of, 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 of people in very strong Jewish settings, families that became Christians, that accepted the Messiah, and how they were just totally, totally rejected by their families and their communities. And so a lot of pressure there. And so these people, you know, if they, so when you, when they accepted the Messiah, that was a drastic step. And so then to abandon it, so the writer saying, if you abandon the Messiah and go back, there's no other, there's no other answer. There's no other hope for you. And, and I think I can give an example of what this passage is talking about. And you probably have acquaintances like this too. But I have a relative and, and, and I consider him a good friend. He was raised in, in this area in a setting very similar to the, to the setting I was raised in just a year older than me. And uh, he says, what all his journey's been, I, I, can under, I think I can know some of the things why he came to this. But he says he doesn't want to have anything to do with the God of this book. The God who in the Old Testament said go out and slaughter people, genocide. He said, I don't want to have anything to do with that God. Now he's retired. They and his wife both had good job had good jobs, so they travel the world. And whether he's searching for another God, I don't know. And it's it's um and it's not exactly painful, it's disappointing. He's a good friend of mine. And we don't talk about it. He knows what I believe. I know what he believes. And you know, I could I could tell him this. And he'd say, Well, you know, you're just going by this old myth, you know, and um this God that I don't want and so it's really not much point in discussing it but he has he falls into this category Christ is the only way and at the end of the, the end of the chapter of course it shows people have given up everything for Christ and and the writer encourages them to stick with it. And and it's not it's it's not so so much for us, <clears throat> for a lot of us that were born into our subculture and raised that way. Yes, we have to give up self. We all have to give up self. But for People who were raised in a totally different setting, saturated with American culture and values, to make the transition into a church community where it's trust and obey, it's trust and obey, obey all the teachings of scripture it comes at a tremendous cost okay I want to now go to the section here 19 to 25 and uh, 
It says, first of all, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter. And that is a, um, that would have been a startling concept to them. Um, the, the word boldness actually also almost has the idea of outspokenness. Uh, it suggests confidence, frankness, plainness of speech. In the Old Testament, at one time, I had those pictures that showed the different steps to access into the Holy of Holies. The common people could not even go into the temple, only the priest, and only the high priest could go once a year, and very fearfully, you know, tradition says, I don't think it's in the scripture, but it's in Jewish tradition, you know, how the high priest, when he went in there once a year, they had a rope tied to him, so in case he did something wrong and he was slaying in there, they could drag him back out without having to go in. And here it says to approach God boldly. I mean, the contrast is just out of this world, actually. Um, okay, so having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter the holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, it's because of Christ. And that's verses 20 and 21. Let us draw near. Let us draw near. Um, how, how, how is your relationship with Jesus Christ? Is, is your relationship with Jesus Christ near or is it distant? How, how, how close is your relationship with Jesus Christ? And to draw near, how often? How often do you draw near? How much? Draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Well, first of all, we can only do it because of Christ. That's what the previous verses said. And then it says to draw near with a true heart, with an honest heart. Are we honest with God? And we, we know God sees everything and uh, probably... I expect that maybe we, uh, when we talk to God, we maybe actually tell him things that we wouldn't tell other people. Um, we have, we know that God knows everything, so it's not much point in trying to hide anything. But yet, are we honest with God? First uh, John 1, 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Talking about honesty. It says we lie and do not the truth. Or even more pointed, 1 John 2, 4, he that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. So, can you come to God in an honest heart? What's it say here? Let us draw near with a true heart and that means honest heart. Can you can you draw near to God with an honest heart if you're not living in obedience? Because it says in 1 John 2, 4, he didn't know it. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar. And truth is not in him. That's, that's pretty pointed. Well, it says with a true heart and full assurance of faith. 
full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And, and the book of Hebrews talks about that. It says in 9.14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit of God, offered himself without spot to God, purge. And that word purge comes through several times too. Purge. Purge your conscience from dead works. To, it takes away the guilt. Jesus Christ takes away the guilt. It, it, it takes away that burden of sin. And I've mentioned this before too. And but I guess it doesn't hurt to keep saying because y'all forget things. But I had a friend, I had a friend in college that was um, study, studying world religions. And he said what he saw was that Christianity is the only religion that had the answer to the sin problem. People go through all kinds of stuff. Uh, some of you have read that that uh, Christmas track, The Master's Pearl, and how this fellow was going to make a 900-mile journey on his knees to Delhi, Hindu setting, for atonement or whatever, or that book, Rip, uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not, I got a Ripley's Believe It or Not book about religious things. And like uh, this one Indian fellow for for years, he would lay on his back with a uh, charcoal brazier on his chest, charcoal on the bottom, I mean, cook food for a holy, for cook food for others to try to atone for one time offending a holy man. This thing. And there's another one. Uh, the, uh, the, the, um, the Man of Chains, I believe, was the title. That was just for you once upon a time. Uh, a person who was, since, was, was aware of his sin. And uh, I forget what the particulars were. but So he tried to atone for his sin by wearing a chain. And every time he did something wrong, he would add another link to the chain. And I forget how much the chain weighed when he died. It was tremendous. But that didn't take away his sin. So we come, we can come to God, we can approach God in full assurance because our hearts have been sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So, in light of all that tremendous truth and the opportunities and the privileges and what God calls us to to come to him let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful that promised and let us consider one another to provoke and to love and to good works not forsaking the assembling ourselves together as a manner of some is but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching now I don't disagree with a word of what brother Joe said this morning in devotions he said where does your help come from well, your help comes from God. But you know what? Your help comes from the church too. And there, there's, no, there's no contradiction there. Psalm 121 is precious to all of us. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. It has to. But we need each other too. Just like y'all praying for me on Wednesday evening. And so that's what, it's, this is, that's what these verses are talking about. Uh, I think there was a little bit more in here I wanted to read. You know, okay, verse 23 said, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Without wavering, let us hold fast. 
And we know what the parable, we know the parable of the sower. And of course, the seed had fell on the hard ground. I don't think there's anybody here like that. The seed that felt on the uh, seed that fell on the, um, what was it? What was the next one? The thistles? I'm getting mixed up now. There were four categories. What was the second one? And the third one? Huh? Yeah, the stony. That's the second. And the thistles is the third, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, the shallow, shallow ground. And so that was the start out, and then you get, um, well, it doesn't last long. And I, 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 when I think of that, I think of a, 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 a young couple that uh, came to church for a while at one of our churches in West Virginia and were interested in joining. They never got that far. Their relatives made so much fun of them, they just gave up. Talked about that strainer on her head she was wearing and all that kind of stuff and just, just really ridiculed them, and they just, they just couldn't take the heat. Um, but then the ones where the, we, the, the things of the earth choke out, that's the one that's closest to us. It says that's hold fast without wavering. Um, okay, let me see if there was something in here. Okay, verse 23 says without wavering. A Greek word only used this once in the Bible. It comes from a root word meaning to lean or bend, also used to describe the setting sun. You could say, hold fast your profession without apostasy. There's a real danger of making a profession of hope, but letting the fire fade as a sunset until darkness takes over. Don't let the fire fade. Don't let the fire fade. And then let us consider one another. Okay, people talk about the book of Hebrews and the, and the lettuce in the book of Hebrews, and we got... We got three of them there in a row. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us consider one another. Um, it's kind of interesting. But uh, this one here, let us consider one another to provoke into good works. I did want to read a little bit here in this uh, quarterly. Um, here. Verses 24 and 25 are a call to encourage one another and stand with fellow believers in avoiding apostasy. We need each other. Verse 25 is a call to faithful church attendance, but it is more than that. It refers to the relationship we need to have with one another to stand faithful. When we basically ignore one another, do not encourage one another, and are not accountable to the brotherhood, we are on a course that forsakes Jesus Christ. So we need each other. And I believe there's one more speaking to that. Let's see if I can find the right place. Um... We are to stimulate one another to love and good works and purposefully gather together and exhort one another. Our hope is personal, but it is far more than that, for we are members of a whole, joint citizens of a great eternal kingdom. Integral to holding fast our profession of hope is the one another life. We not only hold fast, we hold fast together. We help each other hold. We ourselves cannot hold, other, hold otherwise. So the writer tells us, pay attention to each other. Consider ways to stimulate love and good works in your brother. Get together often on purpose, with purpose. Take and make opportunities to exhort, counsel, challenge, encourage, build up, and learn from each other in practical ways. The end is near. Pursue holiness together. I had a lot of thoughts this week. Mine went round and round. 
I went to two memorial services this week. Went to memorial service of a friend that I hadn't known for real long, but a couple years. He's about two decades older than me. He grew up, okay, on the East Coast here, um, you had these conferences. You had Virginia Conference, you had Lancaster Conference, you had Franconi Conference, you had Anagany Conference, all these conferences. And uh, he grew up not in Virginia Conference, but in uh, another one similar. Well, okay. First, let me say this. At the memorial service, uh, part of it, his oldest son spoke. And um, he said about how his father had um, got past law and dogma and tradition to a life that's centered on Jesus Christ. And now his life was centered on Jesus Christ. All his life, you could see it choices he made and so on. And he was an encourager. Um, and that's the way I knew him. He was a positive, outgoing, encouraging person, even in his old age, in his 90s. And I appreciate him. But his descendants are so accommodated to American culture. And I think the older brother probably I mean I know the, the gentleman that died I know he had concern for his family but always he tried to relate to him in a positive way encouraging way pointing to Jesus Christ at, 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 at the end the, actually the uh, this uh, oldest son he, he and of course, the funeral service, the memorial service had been planned a couple of years ago. The, this, this old gentleman had called some people together to, to plan his service. He, his, he, he thought ahead like that. That was his nature. Um, and so the oldest son read Psalm 121. Not what we read this morning. We look to the Lord. And... Um, but at the end of his talk, he said, and we also need to leave the dogma and traditions. I don't know what words he used, but he was actually, he was kind of referring to American culture because of where the generations coming on down the line, where they were. And so I thought about that a lot. So his, his oldest son said that he got past law and dogma and tradition to Jesus Christ to find a life that's centered on Jesus Christ. And like I say, he was raised in a similar setting to me. Um, he came to EMC in the early 50s. He and another family were asked to move to another state then to plant a church, which he did. And from there, he moved into different church responsibilities, even national. So, see my thoughts, my churning thoughts about leaving law and dogma and tradition to find Jesus Christ. 
I, I never left law and dogma and tradition to find Jesus Christ. But my relation to God is not in law and dogma and tradition. But we did sing trust and obey. And so when you leave law and dogma, okay, so the setting I grew up in and all these other conference settings and where they find themselves today. So the trajectory. So when you leave law and dogma and tradition, the first thing, one of the first things that you leave is separation and nonconformity. We don't hear as much about that as we did when I was young. How many of you have heard a sermon on separation and nonconformity? I wonder. And I wondered, have I ever preached a sermon on separation and nonconformity? I heard them when I was young. But anyway, that's that's the first law and dogma and tradition that you leave. And then at least in the trajectory of the setting I was used to, that I grew up in, so then the next law and dogma and tradition that that was left that was left or that was compromised was one man, one woman for life, married. So you go from step to step, and then right on the heels of that, sometimes which is which is non-resistance. And then it just goes on because the church is now, it's not one man, one woman for life. It's, it's accepting the, the alphabet community. And you just, um, and now it's gender dysphoria. I, I think it all comes back to, you see, you leave law and dogma and tradition to find Jesus Christ. So it's Jesus Christ. And so uh, we sing. Uh, there's a song. Yeah, there's a song. But the songs we sang this morning, very interesting because um, break down the bread of life, dear Lord, to me. And we sang in the first verse, beyond the sacred page, I seek thee, Lord. So beyond law and dogma and tradition, we seek the Lord. And so there is, if a person's, if a person's, um, how do I want to say it? If a person's relationship to God is law, dogma, and tradition, then you do have to, in a sense, leave that to find Jesus Christ. But you don't have to abandon it. You don't have to throw it away. You have to get beyond it. So, beyond the sacred page, I seek thee, Lord. My spirit pants for thee, O living word. But now, the last verse says, Spirit and life are they words thou dost speak. That's talking about the written word. And it says um, in Revelation, or no, wait a minute, Hebrews. Uh, yeah, it's in Hebrews about the, the word being quick, I mean, it's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So the written word is also alive. 
Okay, spirit and life are they, words thou to speak. I hasten to obey, but I am weak. Thou art my only help, thou art my life. Speaking of Christ, heeding thy holy word, I win the strife. You can't separate it. And so it, it, it really comes back to, I mean, it's early on. Even, okay, so EMC started 1917. One of the early professors, and I guess, in a, in a sense, I, I guess you'd call him a solid man of God. But he believed in the gap theory. Uh, there's this millions or billions of years gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. And why did he do that? Because he had to accommodate his science training. He had a PhD in science. He had to accommodate his science training to the Bible. And so you start compromising the Bible. And, and you, you worship man's reasoning. Uh, uh, there was another professor there, very, very, uh, again, probably very godly man, but he, I, I remember reading it said about him being over at UVA and, you know, he would enjoy, you know, being in the Poe room reading, you know, well, uh, I guess there's nothing wrong with it, but where is your... Yeah. But so I think, I think as far as the inspiration of the scripture and accepting the whole word is where, where some of it all starts. Uh, okay, and then I went to another memorial service this week. This was a relative. And he was raised same same he was raised in this community in the same church setting I was raised in. And um, so his memorial service, uh, so he, he eventually joined, probably married, joined um, a, um, another denomination. And um, uh, it was a small country church. He probably found a lot of fellowship there. In fact, they said he had almost perfect attendance for, for over 50 years. And then he, he just did everything in the church. He was, he, was a, he was a contributor, and he helped a lot of people. He was, a, he was an encourager. But that set of relatives there again, they're kind of all over the map. And it comes back to well, I guess one reason I was thinking about in connection to these verses is let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful that promise. And let us consider, what are we considering one another to? What are we encouraging one are we in, Are we encouraging each other to hold fast the provision of our faith? Uh, and we need to be in a church that does that. We need to be in a community of believers that does that. Okay, so the last part, I just have to finish up here. The last part, the last section of verses is 32 to 39. And so uh, we haven't suffered that yet, but it says the spoiling of your goods, you know, so he says, don't. He talks about the spoiling of their goods and how they'd been made a gazing stock and all that. He says, cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great reward of recompense. Well, verse 34, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven 
a better and enduring substance. And right away, you ought to think about Matthew uh, 6, where it says, Lay not for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust doth corrupt. It says here, where you have a better and enduring substance. And you go to 1 Peter, and it talks about our inheritance in Christ. And so, it, it, so he's saying, in spite of the difficulties that you're in right now, don't, don't throw it away. Don't throw away what you have in Jesus Christ just because you're having a tough time now. Think about the think about the inheritance you have. Think about your heavenly home. Think about the enduring substance. Don't cast away your confidence. You have great recompense and reward, but you do need patience. I tell you what, there's times in life that come when you need patience. You need patience in your Christian life. You, yeah. You need to stick with it. And we need each other to help us do that. Uh, in fact, uh, a sermon that's um, that's been called off the scene because it said of sickness was Tom Shum's sermon at the bank, living in anticipation of the Lord's return. I mean, if you're living in it, that's what you're looking for. If you're looking for your enduring substance, Okay, I can stand up here and I can say that, but what if I was put in jail and tortured and tried to be broken mentally and physically and spiritually? Okay, and then, so I haven't experienced that. But you know what? I think it was in last, I think it was in the, I think it was in the youth Sunday school class last Sunday, or no, no, it was in prayer meeting. That's what it was. It was in prayer meeting Wednesday evening. I just mentioned how, now, I think about how easy we have it compared to so many people around the world and all the suffering they have, Gaza and Ukraine, and, and there's many other places that don't get in the news. And then somebody mentioned, but there's a lot of suffering in America too. There's a lot of suffering by the people around us. Maybe not materially, but emotionally, spiritually, and so maybe in the physical comforts we have, maybe people are suffering just as much as in other places where there's a lot of physical suffering. So anyway, um, I'm just going to close here again. I don't know, this, that whole thing, that statement that my old man friend, that his oldest son said he left, he got past law and dogma and tradition to find Jesus Christ. But if you get too far past law and dogma and tradition, then your gods become the gods of the culture around you. Sports, fashion, celebrities, power, prestige, economic security. That becomes your gods. Okay, I'm going to close here with Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, 
but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind to may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's let's kneel for prayer. Mm. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for Jesus Christ. I thank you we can come to you boldly just now this way because of Jesus Christ, because of his shed blood, because the way has been opened, wide open for us to come. I thank you for what you've prepared for those who love you, for those who trust you and obey you. And Father, I just pray for each one of us here, whatever, wherever we find ourselves, whatever struggles we may be having, that we might take courage. We might not waver. Uh, we might uh, come to you, uh, lean on you, uh, leave our burdens with you, and Father, I pray that you would protect us from the evil on all the different ways he tries to discourage us. And Father, may we labor for the meat that doesn't perish. So many opportunities here to labor for the meat that perishes. And so, Father, may we not be overwhelmed, but just to lay up treasure in heaven and, and, and trust you to provide our physical needs. And uh, so guide us. Father, in our pilgrimage, our pilgrimage to keep our eyes on our home, our heavenly home. Father, we thank you and we praise you and ask your Holy Spirit to continue to teach us, protect us, and guide us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>